Genesis chapter 24. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his oldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray you, your hand under my thigh. Genesis 24, 1 and 2. So Abraham is now seeking to extract a promise from the servant, and he wants it to be very strong covenant that he makes with his servant. Now earlier, the chief servant of Abraham was named Eliezer. Whether or not Eliezer was still alive is not known at this time, because he had been Abraham's servant for a long time. And it is possible by this point in history, Eliezer had died. But if indeed it is still Eliezer, it makes the story that much more interesting because Eliezer means God my help. And inasmuch as we look at this story of Eliezer going into the far country to get a bride for Abraham's son, it is very exciting. So in this particular story, there is a beautiful spiritual application for already we have seen Abraham as a type of the father. We have seen Isaac as the type of the son, Jesus Christ, and Eliezer would become the type of the Holy Spirit. And thus his name would become significant, Eliezer, God, my help. For when Jesus promised the Holy Spirit in the 14th chapter of John, he said, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter. The Greek word is parakletos, which means one to come alongside to help. So here we have the name of Eliezer, God my helper, and the Holy Spirit being called the comforter, or one who comes alongside to help. And if you'll keep this in mind, and think about this for the spiritual application as we are reading through the story, it will become very significant to you. And no doubt the Holy Spirit will flash on you suddenly bits of inspiration as suddenly you see the real picture of the Father sending the Holy Spirit into a far country or outside then of the Jewish realm to get a bride for Jesus Christ. And the work of the Holy Spirit is convincing the bride that she should go. And so, if you'll keep that in mind as we go through the 24th chapter here, you'll get what I believe to be the picture that God wants us to receive from this particular story in the scriptures. So Abraham caused his servant to swear to him that he would not take a bride for his son from the nations where they were living, but that he would go back to Abraham's home and he would get there a bride for his son. So as we go on, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, you shall not take a wife of my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go back to my country, to my kindred, and take a wife for my son, Isaac. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me into this land. Do I need to bring your son again into this land from where you came? And Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not bring my son there again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and which spoke to me and that swear to me, saying, Unto your seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son, 
from there. And if the woman will not be willing to follow you, then you shall be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son there again. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham's master and swore to him concerning that matter. Genesis 24, 3 through 9. And so the servant wanted to be clear in his instructions. It was his duty now. He was being charged with the duty of getting a bride for Isaac, Abraham's son. And he wants to make sure that he has things straight and a clear understanding. If I go there and I find a young girl, but she is not willing to come to this land, then that is really asking a young girl to take a chance, sort of, you know? Because you never, she's never seen this fellow, and he's some... 500 miles away, and the chance of her returning home again are very slim. So she's being asked to take, really, a venture in faith herself. As she's going to love him, that she's going to be happy there, and he's going to be all that she wants him to be. And the chances of a young girl buying such a thing as that is remote. And the servant, understanding that, really probably questioned in his heart if he could talk a young girl even into coming back with him. He surely foresaw the difficulties of such a thing, and Abraham, who believed God, had confidence that such would be the case, that the young girl would come back, and thus he said, the angel of the Lord will go before you, and he'll set things up. But the big command was, don't take Isaac there. This is the land that God has promised. Abraham is certain about that, and Isaac is not to go back to the land of Haran. And if the girl doesn't come, then the servant is freed from that vow that he took. And the vow became a sacred kind of vow or a trust. It was something that he was obligated to fulfill to his very best ability. And so he is determining before he promises. He wants to know completely what he's promising. He wanted to get the terms of the vow clear. And so Abraham clarifies the issue concerning the girl, and thus he takes the vow that he will go and seek to persuade a young girl to come back to be Isaac's bride. And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master, and he departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose, and he went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor, and he made his camels to kneel down with outside the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, about the time when women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, and he said, O Jehovah God of my master Abraham, I pray you, send me good speed this day, and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. Now let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down your pitcher, I pray you, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. Let the same one be the one that you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that you have showed kindness to my master. Genesis 24, 12-14 so the servant of Abraham is sort of setting up a fleece with God. In a manner of speaking, he's setting up now a certain little thing. Lord, I don't know where she is. Now you've got one picked out here someplace. And so in as much as I don't know the one that you've got picked out, let's make a deal. 
When the girls come out here to draw water, I'll go up to them and I'll say, give me a drink. Now, if one will give me a drink and if she will respond to me and say, oh, I'll get water for your camels also. Lord, let that be the one you have chosen. Let that be the sign. I'll know when she says that, that that's the one you've chosen. And so he's sort of setting up now conditions whereby he might know God's choice in this matter. Now, it is interesting. Sometimes it seems to take a long time for our prayers to be answered. Abraham had been praying for a son for years before the answer came. Sometimes our prayers are answered almost immediately, just as quickly as we can ask them. Many times the answer seems to be there. Now, why is it that sometimes prayers get immediate response, and then other times it seems that God isn't even hearing us, and it takes such a long time before our prayers are answered? Well, to me, it just shows that God is in control. You see, if I were in control of all things, I would answer all my prayers immediately. But the fact that God waits in some issues only shows me that I don't have the capacity to do it. It's in God's hands and that he is in control of the issues of my life and the timing of those issues. And I have discovered that it's best for me that God is in control because there were many things I asked for. And later on, I said, hey, Lord, uh, cancel that request back there on June 20th, 24th, will you? If it's all right, Lord, just forget that one and don't answer it. Because as I get down the road, I see that I don't need it, or I see that it wouldn't be beneficial. I see where it could actually be harmful. And so I put in the cancel request on many of the earlier orders. God is in control. It's best that God remains in control, or else we've got chaos on our hands. I believe that every right thing that you have ever prayed for, that God intended to give you, before you ever prayed it. And I believe your prayers just open up the opportunity for God to give it to you, that he was intending to give it to you all the way along, that he being a wise and loving father knew years ago what you were going to be needing yesterday. And those prayers that he answered for you yesterday, he had intended to answer those all the way along. I believe that your father knows what you have need of before you ever ask him and every right thing you've ever asked him for he has already intended to do for you i do not believe that prayer changes the will of god that is not my concept of god at all that i can get down and i can really just argue with him and give him reasons and logic and so forth that i can change the mind of god by my persuasive powers and prayer i don't believe that at all I believe that every good thing that I've asked God to give to me, he already wanted to give me. That is, before I ever, ever asked him. John said, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 1 John 5.14 And if he hears us, then we have received the petitions that we have asked him. You say, Oh, but there are some beautiful promises. If you ask anything in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 14, 13. Henceforth, you've asked nothing in my, in my name. Ask that you might receive, that your joy might be full. John fifteen eleven. And whatsoever things you desire when you pray... 
believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Mark eleven twenty four. Whatsoever things. Anything. Whatsoever things. Pretty wide open, isn't it? Let me ask you, who was Jesus, who was Jesus talking to when he said that? Was he talking to the multitudes? Go back and look. The multitudes weren't around at all when he said that. Jesus was talking at the time to a close-knit little group that were called his disciples. But what did it take to be his disciples? He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. So stamp that all over, all over those whatsoever things and all things in all. Stamp that over the top because he's only talking to those persons who have already denied themselves and are taking up their cross and following him. They've already come to the cross in their own life. They're not looking for their own glory or for their own welfare or for their own benefit. They're looking now only to glorify Jesus Christ. Christ. They've made that total kind of commitment of themselves and their lives to him. And for that person, whatsoever things you desire, because the only things you're going to desire are those things that are pleasing to God and those things that God is wanting to do. So you can't just take these all things and whatever whatsoever things. And if you ask anything, you can't take those and make them blanket promises to just a multitude of people. Those are special, specialized promises to a specialized group. So with the servant, he prayed and made this little arrangement with God. And it came to pass before he was through praying that behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. Genesis 24:15. Now, Milcah was the sister of Lot. Their father died early. When he died, Abraham took the boy and his brother took the girl, but his brother married the girl. And so he actually married his niece. And she then bore Bethuel, who was the father of Rebekah and of Laban, who we find out figuring into quite He's quite interesting in this story and becomes quite prominent a little bit later down the line. And Jacob goes in his flight from his brother Esau and comes against his uncle Laban. But that's the family kind of tie-in here. So before he was even through with his prayer, Rebekah came out with a pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very beautiful to look upon, and she was a virgin. Neither had any man known her, and she went down to the well and filled up her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her, and he said, Let me, I pray you, drink a little water of your pitcher. Genesis twenty-four sixteen and 17. He put out the thing, and now here's his first chance to test it. And he made this arrangement with God, and so now he's putting out the question. Let me have a little drink of water. And he waits in anticipation to see, you know, here's a, a beautiful girl. Oh, my, wouldn't that be nice? You know, the, the first one, she's pretty, and, oh, let me have a drink of water. And now he's watching for the response. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she hurried and let down her pitcher upon her hand, and she gave him a drink. And when she had done giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they are through drinking. And she hurried and emptied her pitcher into the trough 
and ran again to the well to draw water and drew for all his camels and the man wandering at her pelt at wandering at her held his peace genesis 24:18 and 21 but don't you know at this point his heart had to have been pounding man lord that's fast she's so beautiful as she watched as he watched her he thought oh could this possibly be and he just was holding his peace he was wanting to burst out but he held back and so the next question as the camels were through drinking he took a golden earring literally it's a nose ring of a half shekel weight genesis 24:22 now a half shekel weight would be about a quarter of an ounce a shekel is about a half an ounce, so about a quarter of an ounce little nose ring and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels of gold for about for about five ounces. And he said, Whose daughter are you? Genesis twenty four, twenty two and twenty three. Question number two. This is gonna be the clincher. Who's your father? Whose daughter are you? I pray you, let's see, is there room in your father's house for us to dwell? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bore to Nahor. And she said, moreover to him, we have both straw and food enough and room to lodge in. And the man bowed down his head and he worshiped the Lord. Genesis 24, 23 through 26. Man, he hit it right off the bat. She's one of Abraham's relatives. And you know, how can it be? I'm sure that his heart was just really filled with excitement and anticipation as he worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not left destitute my master of his mercy and truth. Genesis 24, 27. So blessing the Lord for his goodness to Abraham, but then he said something that I think is very significant. I being in the way, the Lord led me. I think that is one of the most important verses in scripture for those who are desiring to know how to be led of God. I being in the way, the Lord led me. Genesis 24:27. I believe that God expects us to step out in faith. And as we step out in faith, he leads us. I think that many times we make a mistake by just lying back and saying, now Lord, lead my life. And I'm just going to lie here, Lord, until you lead me. Chances are you'll never be led. Stand up, start walking, and then the Lord will lead you where you should go. Too many people take a passive attitude toward the leading of the will. Well, Lord, I'm available. Here I am. You can just lead me, Lord, wherever. But you have a very passive attitude towards God leading your life. There is that necessity of and I being in the way the Lord led me. Now, he had stayed back in Beersheba and just prayed for months. Lord, now you lead me to the one. Lead me to the one, Lord. You lead me to the one. How could the Lord have ever led him to Rebekah? As long as he was in Beersheba, he had to get out. He had to go. When he went, then the Lord led him. I being in the way, the Lord led me. I think that one of the things that we often make a mistake as far as the leading of God is that we expect God to lay out the entire picture. Now, Philip was in the midst of a great revival up in Samaria. Many people were believing and turning to the Lord. And the Lord said to Philip, get down to the desert, to Gaza, 
the desert area there. Now, if the Lord would say that to half of us, we'd say, well, Lord, why do you want me to go there? Why do you want me to go down there? Are you sure, Lord? You sure that's where you want me to go? What do you want me to do, Lord? What have you got in mind for me down there? Lord, there's a neat revival going on here, and there's a lot of people that surely need me. Lord, what is it that you want? We want God to lay out the whole picture, but God doesn't always lay out the whole picture to us. Many times he just gives us one step at a time, and you're not going to get step number two until you've taken step number one. Why should you? Why should God give you the second step if you haven't followed the first step? So Philip left Samaria, went down to Gaza. When he got down to Gaza, he saw a chariot heading towards Ethiopia. And the Lord said, go up and join yourself to that chariot. Well, Lord, what do you want me to do that for? Why should I go join myself to the chariot? No, no, no questions. He just went and he ran up next to the chariot. You see, God leads us one step at a time. But I being in the way, the Lord led me. If I don't take step number one, I'll never be directed to step number two. I've got to step out in faith at step number one. And as I get in the way, as I start moving, then God will lead my movements. I being in the way, the Lord led me. I love that because that just shows how God leads us. When we have stepped out in faith, following the directions of the Lord, then God will lead us in the next steps that we should take. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brothers. Oh, how about that? 500 miles and hit it right on the nose. The Lord has led me to the house of my master's brothers. There were probably many wells that he could have stopped by, and God led him right to the right one. Many young girls coming out to draw water, but the timing was just perfect. Rebecca was the first one. After 500 miles, success. And the damsel ran, and she told them of her mother's house these things, Genesis 24:28. And so she ran home and said, Oh, hey, there's a man with 10 camels, and he gave me these golden bracelets and this nose ring, and oh, you know, and he's just got all these servants and all with him. And Rebecca had a brother, and his name was Laban. And Laban ran out to the man and to the well, Genesis 24:29. Now, as you will learn later in the story, not tonight, Laban was a fairly greedy fellow. And the thing that really attracted him was his sister coming home with these golden bracelets. And so he's going to be a very gracious, charming fellow. And he comes running out. Man, she made out with a couple of golden bracelets. Maybe I can get something out of this deal. He was always looking for what he could get out of a deal. And so he comes out, you know, this charming, gracious host. And Laban ran out to the man at the well. And it came to pass when he saw the earrings and the bracelets upon his sister's hands. And when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, This is what the man spoke to me, that he came to the man. And behold, he stood by the camels at the well. Genesis 24:30. So the servant had stayed there at the well in order that she might go home and see if everything would be all right. You know, there's a man with some servants and they've got 10 camels and they want to know if there's room for them to spend the night. And so he said, come in, you blessed of the, of the Lord. Why should you be standing out here? For I have prepared the house 
and room for the camels. Genesis 24:31. He hadn't had time to do any of that, but believe me, I'll do it, you know. He saw the bracelets and the whole thing. And the man came into the house and he ungirded or unsaddled the camels and gave straw and provender for the camels and water to wash his feet and the men's feet that were with him. And there was set meat before him to eat. But he said, I don't want to eat until I've told you what my errand is. And so they said, speak on, go ahead and tell us. And he said, I am Abraham's servant. And the Lord has blessed my master greatly, and and he has become great, and he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, and men servants and maid servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, has borne him a son, for she was old, and unto him has given all that he has. Genesis twenty four thirty two through 36. Now we begin to see the picture in the intercession of the Holy Spirit here as he seeks to draw out a bride for Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit tells us the wealth of the heavenly kingdom, the glory, the glories of God's kingdom. And in the word we read the glory of heaven, streets of gold, gates of pearl, walls of precious stone, beautiful river, trees on either side, crystal clear fountain of water, the living water of life. And the Holy Spirit has revealed the glory of God's kingdom, the world, the universe. And God has a son, and God has given all things to his son. He is the heir of all things, and God has put all things under him. And so the Holy Spirit testifies to us of the glory of the kingdom of God, and how that he has made his son the heir of the whole thing. And the son is looking for a bride. The father actually is looking for a bride for his son. So that when the Holy Spirit has finished his work in the testifying to us of Jesus Christ, it's like Peter Sam. Peter said, whom having not seen, he loves. First Peter 1 8. The Holy Spirit's done a good job. Though I haven't seen him, I love him. And even though I don't see him yet, I haven't seen him yet, yet in my heart, I'm rejoicing with a joy unspeakable and full of glory at the anticipation of that glorious kingdom of which I have become part as the bride of Jesus Christ. I can hardly wait. My heart is filled with longing and anticipation of that glorious day when I see him face to face. Now I look through the glass darkly, then face to face. But join now with this unspeakable joy as I just anticipate the glories of that eternal kingdom of God of which I am to share a part as the bride of Jesus Christ. And so the servant begins to tell of the wealth of his master, all that he has, the servants, the camels, and the gold and all, and everything he has, he has given to his son, Isaac. And my master made me swear, saying, that I would not take a wife for his son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land he dwells, but I should go to his father's house and to his family and to take there a wife for his son. And I said to my master, what if the woman will not follow me? And he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. 
Genesis 24, 37 through 40. So Abraham's faith and belief that God would prosper and make it a successful journey. And you will take a wife for my son from my family and of my father's house. Then you shall be clear from this oath. When you come to my family and they will not give you one, thou shalt be clear from my oath. And so I came this day to the well and I said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if I now, if now you do prosper my way, which I go, behold, I am standing by the well of water and it shall come to pass that when a virgin comes forth to draw water, that I say to her, give me, I pray you a little water of your pitcher to drink. And if she says to me, both drink you and I will also draw for your camels, let the same be the woman whom the Lord has appointed out for my master's son. And before I was done speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came with her pitcher. Genesis 24, 40-45. Now, here to me is an interesting thing, and that is that God hears the prayers of our heart. It isn't necessary that prayers be verbalized. So often we think we haven't prayed if we haven't spoken out, but God knows the prayers of our heart. The servant wasn't out there with hands raised saying, now, Lord God of my father, Abraham, you know, he had been doing that. Then all the girls around were thinking, oh, you know, look at that loot, you know, everything else and they'd all be running to, I'll be running away from him and not to get water. I think that many times our our loud prayers are answered just because people are tired of hearing our cries and they say, you know, anything to shut them up, you know, and they'll respond to our needs because I've let them really be known before man. And Jesus said, "Go in your closet, shut the door. Your father sees in secret." will I re reward you openly? And prayer doesn't have to be uttered. Now, I find that it's good for me to verbalize. I don't have to, but I find it's good for me to do. Or if I kneel down next to the bed and put my head on the bed and just begin to pray to the Lord in my heart, it isn't long before I am resting in the Lord. So for me, it's good to verbalize because it keeps my mind on what I'm praying. If I'm just praying in my heart, so often my heart will run off into something else and I find my mind is wandering during my prayer. I'm back in maybe Hawaii or the Bahamas again all of a sudden. So my mind has a tendency to wander when I'm just praying in my heart. Now, I do a lot of praying just in my heart. There are some things I just don't want to utter and they're just prayers of my heart. But then I do find it necessary to verbalize my prayers. It keeps my mind on what I'm saying and on my prayer and on my conversation with God. But it isn't necessary that prayers be verbalized. God knows the cry of our heart. And to me, it is very interesting that he was just praying in his heart as he was there. His head was bowed, perhaps, not necessarily, but in his heart he was thinking, oh Lord, now let it work out like this. And it was just a prayer that was going on in his heart. Such as in Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14. You will seek me and find me when you search for me. With all your heart, I will be found by you. 
And when I was done speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came forth with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, Let me drink, I pray you. And she made haste and let down her pitcher from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she made the camels drink also. And I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. I put the earrings upon her face and the bracelets on her wrists. Genesis 24, 45, and 47. Now, I told you it's a nose ring. That's why he would put it on her face. It'd be hard to put an earring on her face. And the bracelets upon her hands. And I bowed down my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God out of my master Abraham, which had led me to the right way to take my master's brother's daughter unto his son. And now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Genesis 24, 47, and 49. Now, I'm here, and that's the issue. Now, tell me, are you going to let her go or not? Let me know. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing is proceeding from the Lord. We cannot speak to you good or bad. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Genesis 24, 15, and 51. In other words, what can we say? It's obviously from God. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. And he gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. And they did eat and drink, he and the men that were with him, and they tarried all night. And they rose up in the morning, and he said, Send me away to my master. Genesis 24, 51-54 Now notice, as soon as the arrangement was made, then he came forth with gifts. As soon as Rebekah was committed, then he brought forth the gifts of gold and silver and beautiful raiment and all, began to just load her down with gifts. As soon as we have committed our lives to belong to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to give us the glorious gifts of the Spirit, begins to just give to us gifts of peace, joy, and love, gifts of power, and he begins to really work in a special way within us. So in the morning he said, send me, I pray you, back to my master. But her brother and mother object, and they say, oh, wait a minute now, not so fast. Let the girl abide with us for a few days, at least ten. After that she shall go. And he said to them, Don't hinder me. Seeing the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I might go to my master. And they said, We will call the girl and inquire at her mouth. And so they called Rebekah, and they said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Now it became Rebekah's decision. He is wanting to go right away in order that he might hurry back with the good news that his journey has been prosperous and successful. Her mother and brother naturally are objecting. They're willing to give her, but oh, they want to spend at least a few more days with her because they know they'll probably never see her again. And the servant is insisting, no, I want to go now. Well, let's ask her, will you go with a man? And the beautiful response, I will go.
even as we must by choice and we must exercise that choice to be part of the family of God. So the exercise of Rebecca's own choice. And they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse. Genesis 24:59. Evidently they were wealthy too, for she had her own private maid, and Abraham's servant and his men, and they blessed Rebecca and said to her, You are our sister, be the mother of thousands of millions. Genesis 24, 59, and 60. Oh boy, they want her to be the mother of a billion people and let the seed possess the gate of those which hate them. And Rebekah arose and her, dam and her damsels and they rode upon the camels and followed the man. And the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And Isaac came from the well, the way of the well, Laheroi. Now you remember Laheroi, means the well of him that lives in seas. It was at this well that Hagar was weeping. She didn't see the well, and Ishmael was dying from dehydration. She put him under a bush and went over a ways because she didn't want to see him die. And she was crying out to the Lord, and Ishmael was under the bush, crying out to God and praying. And the Lord said, What ails you? And she said, um, I know, I know, Lord, I'm dying, and I don't want to see my son die and all. And the Lord said here, Behold, there's a well of water. And she went over and got the water and gave him a drink, and she was refreshed and revived. She called the name of the well, The Lord Sees Me. Now, Isaac has taken up residence near this particular well, and this well comes into the story a couple of more times as we find it is in the area where Isaac has moved. Isaac came from the well, the way of the well, Laheroi, where he dwelt in the south country. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. Genesis 24:62. Now, it is interesting that there is much spoken to us concerning the faith of Abraham. Very little is spoken to us concerning the faith of Isaac or concerning the relationship of Isaac to God. That is, directly, but here is an indication of the spiritual kind of depth that Isaac had meditating in the evening. I've found that one of the greatest places to meditate is in the evening time. I love it about the time of twilight. The sun just going down in the twilight time seems like it's just a neat time, especially if you're out in the desert. It's just a beautiful experience, meditation at evening time. And so here is Isaac engaged in meditation at evening time. And he looks up and behold, he sees the camels coming. All right. Now at this point, he doesn't know if Eliezer, the servant, has been successful or not. And Re Rebecca lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. For she has said to her servant, who is this man walking? in the field to meet us. And the servant said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all of the things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Genesis 24, 64, and 67. Father, thank you for your love, Lord. 
thank you for the gifts that you have given to us along the way. I pray you continue to bless and to prosper us in your ways and in your glory and in your honor. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.